Chapter 19 of Sir Titus Salt, Baronet, His Life and Its Lessons. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Wayne Cook. Sir Titus Salt, Baronet, His Life and Its Lessons by Robert Belgarney. Chapter 19 the death of those distinguished by their station but by their virtues more awakes the mind to solemn dread and strikes a saddening awe not that we grieve for them but for ourselves left to the toil of life thompson from the beginning of eighteen seventy six the health of sir titus perceptibly declined each attack of illness left him less able to cope with the one that succeeded walking exercise became irksome and was now chiefly confined to the library or garden terrace yet occasionally when he felt a little stronger he would set out for saltaire where an hour or two was quietly spent after which he returned home wearied with the effort how familiar to the people of bradford was his well-known figure clad in the characteristic attire, which for many years had consisted of trousers of scotch plaid, waistcoat of the same material with gilt buttons, a frock-coat of black cloth. They might still have recognized in him the same remarkably intelligent eye as of old, the calm demeanor, and the somewhat cold exterior which so often misinterpreted the warmth within all these features were much the same but alas his bent frame silvery locks feeble gait with hand leaning heavily on a staff were unmistakable signs that his earthly pilgrimage was drawing to a close the respect and reverence paid to him in the streets was very remarkable it was as though the father of the community was passing by what rendered this circumstance more worthy of notice was that he to whom this homage was thus silently paid seemed perfectly unconscious of it. Perhaps the language of Job, with some allowance for its oriental imagery, might appropriately have been put into those lips now sealed in death. When I went out to the gate through the city, when I prepared my seat in the street, the young men saw me and hid themselves, and the aged rose and stood up. The princes refrained talking and laid their hand on their mouth. Unto me they gave ear and waited, and kept silence at my counsel. And they waited for me as for the rain, and they opened their mouth as for the latter rain. The days at Cronest were sometimes to him rather monotonous with his mind still active and alive to all that was transpiring in the busy world no wonder that he felt the restraints which his bodily infirmities imposed the spirit indeed was willing but the flesh was weak still the numerous letters he received furnished him during the forenoon with congenial occupation in answering which he was assisted by his second daughter the generosity that had hitherto been so remarkable in him was not in any way diminished. Some men in old age have become hard, grasping, 
and penurious even, when in possession of plenty. It was the opposite with Sir Titus Salt. At the close of life his hand was more bountiful than ever, and his heart more enlarged. Nor was this because his mental faculties were weakened, no, but because the light of an eternal world had fallen upon his spirit, and his sense of responsibility was quickened. He felt that his day was closing, and he must needs work in the lingering light of the setting sun. The last considerable act of generosity, of which we are cognizant, was in the month of April. The annual session of the Yorkshire Congregational Union was then being held in Halifax. A fund was there commenced for the extinction of debts on village churches. When Sir Titus was informed of the scheme, he immediately said, I should like to help it. And, taking out his notebook, he wrote the name of the society, and, opposite to it, six hundred pounds. Many such promises, payable in two or three years, were recorded, amounting to many thousands of pounds, but which he did not live to fulfill. After his decease it was found that no provision had been made in his will to meet such promises, but the family have generously taken the responsibility upon themselves. During this time of enforced seclusion, his heart was often cheered by the receipt of various letters expressive of gratitude from persons whom he had helped in time of need. These letters he highly prized, and many that have come to hand since he passed away would still more have gladdened him. One writer says, For the last fourteen years I had in Sir Titus Salt the best of earthly friends, a friend through whose generous aid I have been enabled to educate myself and to gain the position I now hold in connection with the public press. It was once my lot to beg my bread as a starving village lad. But Sir Titus Salt, becoming aware of my anxiety to raise myself in the social scale, took the liveliest interest in my progress, and, by God's help, never let go my hand, but was ever ready to help me on my journey." in the advancement of the sons of widows of young men studying for the christian ministry or starting in business he always took a deep interest many were the letters that came from such during his life and after his decease a minister thus wrote he is blessed by thousands and not the least by students and ministers who he has helped i am not the only one from airedale college who is thankful for the help he rendered and the kind way in which it was done. Yet it was all the while painfully evident that his physical infirmities were increasing, and the sands and the glass were running out, the more rapidly because they were fewer. In the month of April he went with Lady Salt and his daughters to Harrogate for change of air, which was the means of reviving him for a while. Indeed, so much was he invigorated by it that he was able, in the following month, to pay a visit to his eldest son at Mapewell in Leicestershire. Thence he proceeded to London to spend a few weeks with Mr. and Mrs. Wright. It was to them a cause of rejoicing to have the domestic circle of Crow Nest once more transferred to Kensington. Yet this joy was overcast by the feeble appearance of Sir Titus, and especially with his loss of appetite. No wonder, then, that in the midst of their social gathering, 
fears were awakened if not expressed that perhaps this might be his last visit to them that there were grave reasons for this foreboding soon became evident by symptoms of irregular action of the heart and the recurrence of fainting attacks to which he had recently been subject he had always been adverse to medical treatment except by his own rules but in deference to the wishes of the family an eminent physician was consulted the opinion then given was so unfavorable that the journey home was undertaken with much solicitude let us return with him to his yorkshire home to see how the few remaining months are passed and watch the lamp of life as it burns in the socket throughout the whole of those months he was more or less an invalid though it was not always easy for him to be treated as such once he ventured with his family to church but the effort was so exhausting that henceforth there was no more worship for him in the earthly sanctuary the church was now to be in the house there he had frequent communion with god alone or when his pastor visited him and the family were gathered a short devotional service was sometimes held it was our privilege also occasionally to see him during those trying months and to speak words of comfort in his ear the memory of those visits is precious and though almost sacred we would recall a few incidents connected with them which indicate the state of his mind in the prospect of death one evening when the hour of family prayer arrived we gave him an arm to the dining-room and when expressing a hope that he was a little stronger he pointed to his shrunken frame and said you see i am only now a bag of bones his chair was so placed in the room that he might hear every word that was read sometimes with his inverted hand behind his ear his whole countenance evinced intense earnestness the ejaculatory utterances of his heart were often audible and his emphatic amen at the close of the prayer left the impression that he had himself been speaking with god on another occasion we asked him if his faith in jesus christ were firm his hopes clear and prospects bright no he said not so much as i should like them to be but all my trust is in him he is the only foundation on which i rest nothing else nothing else we encouraged him by saying that his salvation was not dependent upon his feelings that with his depressing physical weakness these might fluctuate and change but jesus christ the same yesterday and today and for ever that is what i want to realize he said the answer given was cling simply to the cross and leave health life soul all in the saviour's hand and this will yield perfect peace on which he said with much calmness i can do no more but leave myself there we then repeated the well-known soliloquy of roland hill shortly before his death and when i'm to die receive me i'll cry for jesus has loved me <laughs> i cannot tell why but this i do find we two are so joined he'll not be in glory and leave me behind with these lines he was greatly comforted and cheered are they in print he said where can i find them 
if ever mortal man had merited heaven by good works it was sir titus salt but no he never referred to anything he had done or made it a ground of boasting in the presence of god and in the prospect of eternity he appeared as a man stripped of all self-righteousness and clothed with the righteousness of christ as his only raiment some might regard this as a sign of failing nature nay it was rather the evidence of grace abounding and when we contrast this humility and self-abasement with the position he had occupied which was like that of a king among men the words of another king seem appropriate i have behaved and quieted myself as a child that is weaned of his mother my soul is even as a weaned child but while these spiritual fruits were comforting to those who discerned them the symptoms of increasing bodily weakness were painfully evident to all his nights were often sleepless and as he tossed to and fro longing for the dawn he would sometimes sink into a brief slumber for a while he was unable to leave his bed till noon but one morning when we were there he made an effort to be up early it was a matter of surprise that he should wish to rise so soon but the reason was at once apparent it was to be present at family worship which now seemed to be his chief pleasure as he was unable to walk upstairs he was carried in an invalid's chair by two men-servants but even in this his characteristic punctuality was manifest when the hour of retiring had struck the order was given to his attendants and having said good-night to his family circle he was borne away waving his hand as he disappeared into the hall and up the staircase to his bedchamber the remark was once made by a member of the family that no express train could have been started with more regularity and precision than were observed on these occasions during the day when the sun was bright he was occasionally drawn along the garden terrace in a spring carriage by his beloved daughters with his devoted wife always by his side but here too another habit would unconsciously assert itself namely that of commander-in-chief for even the control of the vehicle the spots to be visited the time to return were never entrusted to others but kept under his supreme command the month of october was the usual time for the family to visit scarborough but owing to the state of the invalid's health little reference had been made to the subject what was our surprise one day when he seriously said can you find room for us this year at scarborough at first the proposal was considered by his family as fanciful but when it appeared as a fixed purpose his regular medical attendant mr charteris unwilling to take upon himself the responsibility of such a journey took the opinion of his former medical adviser and friend mr scattergood of leeds their united consent was given to the proposal in support of this there were two reasons one being that the sea air might probably give an impetus to the patient's rallying force the other was that the change was absolutely necessary for lady salt whose long and unwearied vigils had well nigh exhausted her strength and thus it came to pass that sir titus 
even in his enfeebled condition, once more visited his favorite watering-place. For many years we had welcomed him on his arrival at the station, but never before in such affecting circumstances as the present. What a change! The strong man had become weak as a child, so that a carriage had to be drawn up close to the train to receive him. In taking this journey, his medical attendant accompanied him, which circumstance, together with other particulars connected with his health, were recorded in the daily press. But such was his dislike to read bulletins about himself, that in deference to his wishes, the reporters abstained from sending them. The change of scene in Air Scarborough had for a while a beneficial influence, and as his appetite improved, his spirits revived, and when he could be drawn into the sunshine on the esplanade, a faint hope was awakened that his life might yet be prolonged. Indeed, his local medical adviser at first encouraged that hope, for there was no sign of organic disease, but only of physical exhaustion. Alas, the hope was only temporary. What human skill could keep the wheels in motion that had revolved so long? What change of temperature or locality could renovate the frame that had borne such a strain and was now worn out? One night a terrible storm raged, which violently shook the windows of his apartment and greatly alarmed the invalid. The cold also chilled him, so that the little strength he had previously gained was soon lost. Then returned those fainting attacks which again caused great anxiety, and indicated to all that a return home was now most desirable. Yet in the midst of all these anxieties his mind was calm, and his heart kind, he still thought how he might do good. Unable to attend church on dispensary Sunday, he sent five pounds to the collection. Too weak to visit in person the cottage hospital, he forwarded one hundred pounds to its funds. Thus closed his last visit to Scarborough. When he left the station, many friends stood at a distance to witness his departure, knowing full well that they should see his face no more. The arrangements made by the station-master for the comfort of the invalid on his homeward journey were gratefully appreciated. But when he entered Cronest, he never again crossed its threshold. He had returned to die, and to exchange his earthly abode for an house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. It was well for him that he had nothing to do but to die. As a man of business, he had long before set his house in order, so that no earthly thoughts distracted his mind now. He had no arrears of duties to wipe off. These had received his attention at the right time. He had committed the keeping of his soul to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. And now he calmly waited to be gathered to his rest. The season of Christmas was approaching, when the family circle was wont to assemble under the parental roof. But this year how different! On Sunday, the 17th December, 1876, Sir Titus became much worse, and the telegraph summoned his absent children to come at once. It was a long Sabbath day's journey to some of them but one by one they arrived. 
and what does not often happen in a large family none were absent when their father was dying yet still he lingered by the margin of the river we were privileged to see him there but the stream was not dark or cold as some have pictured it and he seemed just waiting for the signal to pass over we repeated the line so oft whispered in the ear of the dying hide me o my saviour hide till the storm of life be past safe into the haven guide o receive my soul at last with his hands clasped in prayer he said with emphasis how kind he is to me and so we left him to meet no more on earth still he lingered sometimes when unconscious his thoughts seemed to be running back to early days and to the companions of his boyhood a brief note from crownest dated twenty fourth december says he is still with us and it may be hours before he joins the host above nothing can be taken but the smallest quantities of water consciousness remains weakness increases but no pain the earth here wears a white mantle snow is about four inches deep a holy calm now reigns within and without yet the lagging wheels of nature were slowly moving the spark of life was flickering in the socket and loved ones kept fanning it and watching lest any rude blast should hasten its extinction but on friday afternoon the twenty ninth december eighteen seventy six at twenty minutes to one o'clock he passed away when all was over a note written by a member of the family contained the following he has gone away from the land of the dying to that of the living i quoted to him again and again i will never leave thee nor forsake thee i give unto them eternal life no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hands the lord is my shepherd i shall not want it was my lot to be almost constantly with him during his last days i was with him to the last and when the end had come i could not help touching his hand and saying farewell happy spirit with the joyous belief that we shall meet again happily for those who remain there was no physical suffering and his breath died away like a soft summer breeze how blessed the righteous when he dies when sinks a weary soul to rest how mildly beam the closing eyes how gently heaves the expiring breast so fades a summer cloud away so sinks the gale when storms are o'er so gently shuts the eye of day so dies a wave along the shore life's labor done as sinks the clay light from its load the spirit flies while heaven and earth combine to say how blessed the righteous when he dies end of chapter nineteen